You're never cool. Unless you're James Bond, mm-hmm. unless you're a fucking literal rock star, you're not cool. Get over being cool. Cool sucks. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, San Diego, co-host, that's you, what's up? Could you at least say it in like a movie voice? Like I'm not doing a movie voice right now? No, it's like, uh, that's like Humphrey Bogart, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so could you at least be like, you know... The MacGuffin. The der, This is the worst. Uh, I don't have <laughs> a Humphrey Bogart. I don't have a. I don't have a Humphrey Bogart. I'm sorry. The movie review podcast that dreams are made of <laughs> turned into more of a Howard Cosell, but whatever. I'm Keith Foster. You're Cassidy Robinson. Yes, and this week we're going to be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. And that's right. For those who are are not familiar with the podcast, what we do is every week, uh, or bi-weekly sometimes we break down uh, a movie review for a new movie that's in theaters and then we assign each other a streaming homework of some kind um so for this week we're going to be reviewing the tim heidecker movie that's now streaming on hulu mr america yes <laughs> thank you for that thank you for that uh i just for that you're the, description you're the fucking asshole that's like Hey, every episode is like an opportunity for new listeners. Well, I'm breaking it down for the, for people who might not know what they're getting into. That's what this is. We review one movie, one new movie, one streaming movie. Well, they definitely the they definitely know what they're getting into now. Yes, and uh, so for the new reviews, we're going to be doing Sonic the Hedgehog, and I'm all going to be doing a solo review of Gretel and Hansel. I reviewed that for the Idaho State Journal, so I. Th- Figure I might as well talk about that. But uh, before that, uh, we have a special segment. But before that, I had a uh, a random non-movie-related question for you. Oh, fuck. Uh, I don't like being in the hot seat like this with your gotcha journalism, <laughs> but okay. As a 30-whatever-year-old, how do you feel about this uh, critical reassessment of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It is very uncool to like the Red Hot Chili Peppers right now. Have you noticed this, like, in the last, like, five or so years? They're kind, um, they're kind of like a, a bit of a thing. butt of I'm the joke right now. A little. Uh, here's the, I mean, I'm ride or die Chili Peppers, so I don't mm-hmm. really care. Um, I know there's a lot going on with, like... They're guitarists. They just like there's some drama going on with like Josh Klinghoffer and John Frusciante and stuff. Well, Frusciante's officially joined again. Has he? I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Going back and forth. Anyway, ultimately, I don't care. I I love the Chili Peppers. Uh, if if that makes me a lame, you know, I am in my 30s. Like it's appropriate for me to like 
music that I liked when that I grew up with. Like, I shouldn't be into Grimes. I shouldn't be into Billie Eilish. I should be into the Chili Peppers and the Foo Fighters. Like, right. Uh, that's that's the music I grew up with. So I like it. Like, you know, I like I said, I'm ride or die Chili Peppers. I thought their last album was one of their best. Wow. Uh, it's yeah, it's one of my favorites. One of the ones I listen to the most right now. Um, and I still listen to it. So I, I guess I just don't give a fuck. I don't, I'm, I'm so over being cool. You're never cool. You're never cool. Right? When you're a kid, you're not cool. Cause you're a fucking kid. Yeah, you're absolutely. So it doesn't cool. matter. Cause you, you don't need to be cool. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. But then when you're a teenager, when you want to be cool, you're very not yeah, cool. definitely not you're cool. a little sociopathic piece of shit mm-hmm. uh so teenagers telling olds that they're not cool guess what you're not fucking cool i don't care <laughs> then when you're in your 20s that's like the only possible window for you to almost actually be cool mm-hmm. but you're not cool yeah because you know what you don't have insurance you don't have a 401k uh, you have your whole life ahead of you, but you don't know what you're doing with it. So fuck you. You're not cool. Oh yeah. In your thirties, you're not cool because you're old. <laughs> uh, and then you just get progressively less cool for every decade that passes. You're just like that much percentage less cool. So the the gist of it is, you're never cool unless you're James Bond. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a fucking literal rock star, you're not cool. Get over being cool. Cool sucks. Cool's fucking bullshit. Like you can't like stuff that you're that you like. Yeah. So fuck it. Yeah. I mostly agree with that. I remember when we were younger, uh, like in our twenties or so, this same exact thing was happening for the doors. It was like very uncool to like the doors at a certain point in time. That might be a, the case still. I'm not sure where they are right now. I feel like the Chili Peppers have kind of taken that. Uh, cool to not like baton, if you will. Who, how do you, who says this? Who decides that bands are and are not cool? I don't know. I just, well, you know what? I do know because I hang out in these like music forums and stuff online and then you'll see like people use the chili peppers or their lyrics or something like that as the butt of a joke. Look, the the chili peppers are, they're getting older. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're old. They're, they're old men now. Yeah. Um, so I get why people might not be into that, might not think they're cool, but like, again, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I don't even, I don't even care about that. (laughs) All I care is I like their music. I like their songs. Right. I just wondered if you noticed this and where, how you felt about it, how old it made you feel. I'll be in my forties watching a bunch of 60 year olds rock out wearing socks on their cocks. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Like, as long as they keep making music I'm into. Do you think the Sockcocks are going to be the next Parrot Heads? <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope not. That'll be gross. <laughs> All right. All of our bodies are decaying. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to the first segment that I had an idea for. Uh, I don't have a name for this, but we've noticed over the last, however, forever, since the dawn of cinema, that... A lot of movies that shouldn't have sequels get them. Uh, sometimes successfully yes. so, and it'll lead to a long-running franchise, something like the Batman series, something like James Bond, whatever. Uh, the Marvel MCU, 
Um, those are the most successful uh, uh, uses of the sequelization formula. But other times, some, something will poop out a sequel that goes nowhere, and nobody even talks about it. And people pretty much forget that it even happened. So, Or even worse, a, a movie sets up a sequel that just never, never happens. happens. Right. Um, yeah. So I wanted to talk about uh, movies that we think deserved a sequel, or that we would like to see a sequel for, even if the movie... Uh, or the the filmmakers themselves never intended there to be a sequel in the first place. So uh, I asked uh, for three or four, or sorry, two or three uh, uh, options here. So we'll kind of go back and forth, and I'll let you start. What is what is your first suggestion for this idea? Um, so when you first mentioned this to me, there was one movie that came up in my head that um, I feel like got kind of a bad rap. And that I would love to have seen where it went. Um, I, so the Terminator franchise is wrought with false starts and uh, uh, attempts at capitalization on what Terminator 2 sort of promised mm-hmm. um, and trying to, to sort of recatch that lightning in a bottle. Right. Uh, and there have been a bunch of Terminators movies since then that uh, have pretty much largely been trash, uh-huh. um, have, have mostly been garbage. Um, but there was one that stood out to me that I, uh, that I actually really liked that I think I am in the minority here. Um, Terminator Salvation, the one with Christian Bale, as most people will remember it. Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of did things a little bit different from the normal Terminator franchise. Um, normally, Terminator movies are about Terminator going back in time or going into an alternate reality or what the fuck ever. Uh, going back into time to prevent a war. Right. This movie was built on, well, what if we actually see the war? And I thought that was a pretty interesting take. Um, I don't think this movie is perfect um by any stretch of the imagination in fact i I haven't seen it in forever but i remember when i watched it i liked it and it ends on a pretty big cliffhanger and and i think it was supposed to set up like a terminator trilogy of its own um and so this was supposed to be like the first part right and so it ends on a pretty big cliffhanger that just never got resolved. And I, I think that's a bummer because uh, it's the only one outside of Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 that I even gave a shit about. Terminator 3 is garbage. And because Terminator Salvation never got the sequel, I felt like it was deserved. Um, I just haven't even bothered with Terminators because I'm like, I don't want to get invested in something because clearly this franchise is just going to drop everything. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't break all the records. Right. So you never saw Terminator Genesis? Nope. Never saw it. Don't give a shit. I did. After Terminator Salvation, I I stopped. I won't see another Terminator movie until they finish the Terminator Salvation trilogy. Oh, well, that's never going to happen. So goodbye, Terminator forever for you. 
Yeah, and I've been fine with it. I've been okay. Uh, I didn't see Terminator Genesis. I didn't see Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah. Um, are those the only ones that have come out since? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't care about Terminator movies anymore. Don't need any more. Um, Except for the one my... that you just proposed. Yeah. Which is a, a direct sequel to uh, Terminator Salvation that takes place in the John Connor battle for the future war yeah okay oh kind of a different sort of answer than i was expecting from you but uh the first one that i thought of was and this makes me a little bit nervous because the director the filmmaker is is a little like hit or miss um generally speaking but especially lately uh but i unlike mick g unlike mick g who's just like running the hits <laughs> every single actually i have liked the last couple of movies he did he did that movie the babysitter for netflix which was a lot of fun uh but no i want i would like to see the continued adventures of matilda uh from the professional uh luke Besson's a professional oh okay yeah uh yeah with natty poe yeah natalie portman uh yeah that'd be that'd be cool she's be still sweet. a viable thing right now you know she's uh and she could definitely uh bring she's something totally a viable no, thing. yeah i mean she's, she's like a huge aimless. star <laughs> um and this and it would be kind of cool to see her kind of come back to this type of material and and uh reprise this character and you know uh of course you know spoiler alert um uh leon uh, the professional uh, is no longer, and uh, who train who was like the person who was taking care of Leon. Oh, who- Danny Aiello. Danny Aiello, yes. So it's it would be a universe in which all of the characters that helped Matilda become what she becomes at the end of that movie is no longer there in the story anymore. So it would be really kind of a clean slate. It you wouldn't be able to completely copy the dynamics of the original film, which I think is a good thing because usually the problem yeah. with, with uh, sequels, especially sequels that are too little too late is they just try and like plug in, you know, tab a in the slot B and try and recreate the magic again with the exact same dynamics. Uh, and this, she would be much older. I would like to see what happened to her. You know, she would learn the tricks of the trade, does she go on to become like law enforcement? Does she go on to become a DEA agent? Does she go on to become a super assassin? Hopefully that one. Um, I I just think it could uh, be really maybe cool. Maybe she takes a young, maybe she takes a young orphan boy under her wing. Uh, see, now you're doing you're doing the exact <laughs> thing I hate that road. screenwriters do. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I know, I know, I'm joking. Um, and and yeah, that no, is that what they would, be would totally do. Totally cool. I. <laughs> yeah i think um yeah i think the the benefit of a, a movie like this is it had sort of a cult underground success mm-hmm. so there is an audience for it but i don't think you'd have to lean into the nostalgia no um, because it wasn't like a huge movie that people grew up with um, right you yeah, don't have I to call that's... it like the professional two or the revenge of matilda or something like that you could you could just let it be its own thing that just happens to be in that movie universe and it can have its own you... type of appeal and its own type of success when you mentioned 
uh, sequel for Matilda, I thought you meant <laughs> Matilda. Starring uh, Mara Wilson. Yeah, I mean, having this, <laughs> this psychic girl grown up and like, uh, and have her fight Carrie. Matilda versus Carrie. Holy fuck. Oh my God. Are you writing this down? <laughs> Matilda versus Carrie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we get Sissy Spacek back on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could. It doesn't have to make any damn sense. No. It's just a psychic girl fight. <laughs> In fact, that is the subtitle of the movie. Matilda versus Carrie, <laughs> a psychic girl fight. <laughs> oh my god, I would be so into that. <laughs> I would too, but probably not for the right reasons. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what is yeah. your other idea? No, I, um, the other movie that, uh, oh man, this movie should have gotten a sequel, and there there was a huge online petition for it to get a sequel for a really long time. I think that's kind of finally died down. Mm-hmm. I think hopes of getting a sequel for this is pretty much gone at this point. Um, but uh, Dread 3D. Oh, uh, starring yeah. Carl Urban. Um, Carl Urban was such a good cast for Dread, mm-hmm. and they really got the just like the tone of Judge Dread right. Um, I believe it was written by wasn't Alex Garland one of the writers? Um, anyway, so Dread 3D was really cool. Um, it was it was a little under budget. And a little ahead of its time. Um, and I think they just did a really good job of s- establishing what this world, this like gritty mega city one world should be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really translated it off of the 2000 AD pages. Um, and I, I think they did everything right with that movie. It was just sort of like dread on a case or, you know, it's basically dread. Uh, but in Die Hard, um, in a sci-fi Die Hard, right. which is perfect. I remember like, it getting a lot of comparisons to the uh, to the film The Raid Redemption. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, a kind of like fight your way up a like, building kind of plot. Yeah, it's sort of a bottle episode, mm-hmm. um, but you know, but just a movie version of that. Yeah. Um, but I think it it did a really good job of sort of existing and just telling sort of a cool dread story without necessarily having to build a franchise out of it. Um, but that being said, I think they missed the potential to franchise the fuck out of it. Um, Cause I think there's so much there with that character and with that universe that could be played with. Um, obviously like the comics have been going on for like fucking 40 years or 50 years or some shit mm-hmm. um and yeah i think you know had they i think had they made a sequel it probably would have found its audience a little bit faster than the first version did um it was sort of the antithesis of the judge dread movie with sylvester stallone which was like peak action 90s schlock right um and this was definitely meant to be a much more grounded, like, um, sort of sci-fi futurism look at Dread. 
And it was just a really cool fucking movie um, that I would love to have seen, you know, the continuing adventures of Dread and, and maybe introducing like some of the great moments of the comics, uh, like Judge Death and stuff. Um, I, I just there's so much sci fi story to pull from. Um, and they really got the world of it right. Uh-huh. So I just wanted sort of the continuing adventures. Um, like I said, there was a rabid fan base online for this. Oh yeah, I remember there was sequel. like there were campaigns on like GoFundMe or or Kickstarter things Multiple like that. Petitions. Yeah, yeah, they tried to Veronica Mars it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, unfortunately, when you're dealing with like heavy sci-fi action movies. Uh, it's it's a little harder to get the funding than, you know, girl detective movies. Uh, and that isn't a comment about the quality of Veronica Mars. It's just it's it's a, easier to film that kind of a story on a small budget. Right. Um, okay. Now I see where you're dealing... going with that. Okay. Because <laughs> originally, when you I just mean when you said that, I was like, uh, sci-fi action movies are definitely making a lot of money. But no, no, no. I mean, it's it's just a little harder to crowd crowdfund though. Right, right. Um, because you have a lot more to do with special effects. Yeah, Veronica Mars uh, just needed to be a competent two-hour episode of Veronica Mars. Exactly, and this you know has to have. Uh, I I think, you know, maybe even now it might be more feasible than it would have been back then, mm-hmm. um, just because that kind of filming is getting cheaper and cheaper, but. Um, Anyway, I just thought it was a really cool movie, um, and uh, I, there is rumor that they're working on a, not necessarily Judge Dredd, but a Judge, like, I, th- I think it's called Mega City One mm. uh, series. Okay. Um, well, see, that might be the better home for it at this point. Yeah, I, I'm i just a little bummed because I don't think that that has Judge Dredd as a character. I think it's just sort of, like, about other judge adventures which you know could could still scratch the itch mm. um ho- hopefully we see judge dread pop in uh you know maybe in a couple episodes or something but um yeah i just think there is a potential with that that hasn't quite been tapped yet uh my last suggestion for this segment is sci-fi comedy galaxy quest now this oh interesting. This is a bit of a cult film these days. Uh, the people who remember it or like it like it a lot, especially Trekkies and stuff like that, because obviously that's what it's directly parodying. Um, mm-hmm. But even just within its own its own uh, uh, cult of cult of whatever you want to call it personality, I suppose that it is it has uh, garnered its own. Um, fan base around it and that'll go to midnight screenings and stuff like that but i think that there there's actually a pretty rich mythology that the writers built there and you know the idea that this uh earthbound television series uh inspired these wars across the actual galaxy that they then have to uh participate in i think that's something you could you could tap into more than once. I thought that that, yeah, well, that movie it, is funny. And I, and, and it is one of those things. It's like, you don't want to, it's doing a sequel to a comedy is always extremely difficult. Uh, and we are so far away from 
from when that film was made, because I believe that was like 1999 or 2000 or so. So a lot of the cast is significantly older now. Alan Rickman is no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, But I still think that there's there's things you could do with that. And I think you could even like play into uh, the expansion of the Star Trek universe and like, you know, younger casts and, you know, uh, jealousies with... uh, 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 different sci-fi franchises, like something like a Star Wars or something like that. So I think there's there's so much more you can say about the world of fandom because that movie's almost just as much about that as it is about a space adventure. Um, and and that, that movie was clever in and of itself. So yeah, I think there's there's more you could do with with these guys. And there, it's kind of one of those ensemble comedies where it's just fun to hang out with all of them. Yeah, I mean, I I do think we kind of have missed the boat on it. Yeah. I think you'd almost have to. I hate using the term reboot, but um, but you could almost reboot it. You know, like in the universe where Galaxy Quest uh, was what it was. You know, mm-hmm. like Star Trek. Maybe there was a sort of a Galaxy Quest: The Next Generation mm-hmm. thing, like. I think you could definitely still play with that idea. And there is something about the fact that it's uh, a parody of of something that is, uh, you know, sequential and episodic in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that, of course, you can continue to riff on it because as many episodes of Star Trek as there are, there is the potential for... Uh, comedic fuel that's different than what they, you know, made of our might have already mined. Uh, yeah, I think that would would be a solid choice. Again, I think it'd be a little tricky at this point. Yeah. Um, with you know, Tim Allen being uh sort of a little bit Hollywood poison and and just um just the general age of the the cast, right? You know, I don't think you could do it exactly how you could do a traditional sequel. Um, but, yeah, I think there's definitely more to explore in that universe. For sure. For sure. That's kind of how I was thinking, especially with Alan Rickman not being there and stuff. It might not be the same cast. Or if you, if it is, then there's, like, maybe new cast members to sort of bring in new blood or something like that. But. Well, I mean, I think that the problem Galaxy Quest would face is similar to... Uh, the problem that uh, Ghostbusters mm-hmm. is having is like people people get that there's more there. People realize that they like uh, there's you know we can keep going with this, but how do you do it in a way that's uh, you know faithful to the original but not totally beholden to it? Yeah, um, you know, in in the the day of uh, apparently we care about what internet trolls think. Um, you know, how do you address issues like, you know, there's going to be those people that are like, what's fucking garbage compared to the original? Right. Um, well, that's going to happen no so. matter what. You could make the most ideal sequel to anything ever, and there's going to be like 20% of people who hate it no matter what. Well, I just mean, like, you don't don't play to those audiences. Yeah, you can't. I don't, I don't think they're they're real fans anyway. Right. It's sort of a fan's obligation to give something a chance. Mm-hmm. 
Which is different than giving something a pass. Right. But in the case of Galaxy Quest, the fandom is so niche and specific. I mean, there will never be a sequel to Galaxy Quest because of that. Um, At the best, it can maybe get like a TV treatment or something like that. But... uh, Doesn't that kind of exist with the Orville? Orville? Well, the Orville is, is... The Orville's really interesting because it's not... It's not really a parody. Yeah. Like, it kind of started out that way for the first two or so episodes, and they realized they liked their characters and they liked this universe they built enough that they just started doing it sincerely. It's funny, but it's not always, it's not always at the expense of Star Trek life. And it's not. And it's not as meta. It's not no. literally about a, a TV show living a, a right. Yeah, movie. it's absolutely. It's not about the industry. It's not about fandom and stuff like that. That that uh, Galaxy Quest was tapping into, but the Or I the mean, Orville is know, more just we, an actual sci-fi show that happens to be funny. And and you know because now that we're talking it out a little bit, uh, because of. The way the story of Galaxy Quest is framed is, you know, maybe it, they really would have an opportunity to talk about some of the toxic. Oh, for fandom sure. That, that didn't exist at the time that Galaxy Quest came out. Yeah, or the internet fandom. Or exist, but in. A, yeah, it, it might have still exist, but in a much more marginalized and, and yeah. voiceless. Because they way. mostly talk about, like, convention um, fans in, in yeah, Galaxy which, Quest. Which are, if, you know, the nascent Which version were, of the internet troll. <laughs> and and for the most part, we're earnest, whereas yeah. like a lot of internet trolls, it's like, you know, some of these those people don't give a shit about anything. No, they're, they're just, just literally trying to get a ride out, rise out of anarchists, it. Anarchists, yeah. Um, okay, I have one more. Okay, I'll let you go. Those are the only two just, I had, but you can you can say yours. Um, and I just want to go through it real quick. Um, it's sort of in a similar vein as uh Leon the Professional, and the reason I want to just touch on it real quick is because I think it might even still be a possibility, um, but the long-rumored sequel treatment for uh, Kill Bill Volume oh, 3 sure. yeah. with Copperhead's daughter coming after the bride for Vengeance, mm-hmm. um, I, I think, you know, the setup is there is obvious, and... Uh, Again, Quentin Tarantino has expressed interest in possibly revisiting that world. So, yeah. of all of the ones that we've mentioned, I think that one is the most likely. Um, but I I think that would be a really cool route for him to go down. Sure, yeah. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and I'm going to do a quick solo review of Gretel and Hansel. I can knock this out pretty fast. So, uh, Gretel and Hansel was released a few weeks ago. It's a little bit of an older review now, but I was sort of interested in seeing this film because the trailers look promising, and it was directed by Oz Perkins, who uh, previously directed the horror film The Black Coat's Daughter, which was which I've never seen, but I've heard a lot of good things about, and it was sort of praised among the types of people who like films like Hereditary and The Witch and, and It Follows and the kind of quote-unquote art house indie horror um so this was this follow-up to that and uh of course it's going off of the original grimm's tale and taking a new twist on it uh the twist being uh the beginning of the film sort of opens with this long prologue about the witch herself and uh it's a little bit like a uh 
like a wicked type interpretation of it where we learn more about her motivations and maybe she was a victim herself and that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we see her uh, as a young child with uh, dangerous psychic abilities being exiled from her town um, by her parents and she left to her own devices in the woods. Cut to years later, Hansel and Gretel are kicked out of their home by their mother because uh, she's uh, too poor to take care of them. And so they are wandering through the woods looking for food, uh, eating psychedelic mushrooms on accident, avoiding uh, attacks by a random zombie. Um, That scene's never explained. Um, And then they find their way to uh, the witch's house in the woods. And uh, she goes by the name Holda. And inexplicably, she has an excess of gourmet foods. Uh, And she takes the children in and she allows them to stay so long as Gretel helps with the housework. And while they're staying there, uh, Gretel is having these nightly dreams or visions of all of this dark, sinister stuff that's happening uh, in and around the house that they're staying and it has something to do with their caretaker. Um, there's, there are some things to praise about this movie. It looks really nice. Uh, the cinematography is very cool. Uh, the production design is, is really neat. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of like a, uh, it's, it's kind of tapping into sort of the historicity and the, the, uh, folktale legend quality of something like Robert Eggers, the witch, but there's, it's sort of bathed in garish greens and oranges and blues. Um, and has a bit more of a fantastical element to it. This is not supposed to really take place in any known history, um, or any okay. known continent. Um, so, in that sense, it does feel much more fairy tale than folktale, um, but it is kind of tapping into both, uh, or trying to. Uh, there's really cool set design. There's a very cool uh, costuming throughout the movie. The movie looks great. The story is terrible. Uh, the screenplay mm. is a bummer. Um, the dialogue is insanely boring. Uh, nobody ever says anything of what seems to be importance. Uh, I never get a sense from the characters that they're ever in danger or ever feel, they never really feel that they're in danger. Like I never get a sense of like dread or fear from the actors, um, specifically, uh. Now, do you think that that was a problem with the acting or do you think that's more with like the direction both uh sophia lillis who people probably remember from the it movie the first it movie um she played beverly in that and uh samuel leakey um and uh i will say i think that alice krieg who plays holda the witch she's probably giving the most consistent performance and she sort of embodies that um dark mystery very well. The problem is, again, a lot to do with the dialogue. I don't ever really get a sense of from what's happening from scene to scene. Like, there's no forward momentum in the plot. There's no one scene really dictates how you're supposed to feel going forward. So it always just kind of feels like these 
elongated, somewhat sluggish uh, conversation set pieces that lead to nowhere. And then you'll have these repetitive parts where Gretel has these nightmarish dreams, which are cool and sort of a fantastic horror uh, music video kind of way. But um, then you kind of get dropped back into the A plot, which is super boring. So, uh, and then the the movie sort of hinges on, as far as the success of its drama, sort of hinges on this twist ending that uh, sort of comes out of left field and is very dependent on the rewriting of the history uh, from that prologue that I mentioned. If you really didn't care about how they were trying to reinterpret the witch in the first place, which I didn't, um, then you're really, really not going to care about the twist. Um, so I think this is a pretty bad movie overall. And I think the best thing you could do if you, if you must watch this is to watch it with the mute button on while playing like some Burzum or some, uh, some behemoth or something like that, then it might be kind of cool. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't need to see it. (laughs) There's plenty of, uh, better horror movies that. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's clearly trying to sort of occupy that A24 art horror lane, but it's about as deep as a puddle. So it feels like it fails even more because of that. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, honestly, by the time you're listening to this, you've probably already skipped it. Yeah. Or seen it. Yeah. (laughs) All right, cool. So let's go ahead and talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, and I'll let you set that up. Yeah, there's not much. Uh, So Sonic is about this blue speedster hedgehog (laughs) that lives in his little alien animal furry dimension. He has these magical rings that allow him to teleport to different places, different dimensions, possibly, Mm -hmm. um, different planets. Um, And... Early on, he is sort of traumatized by an inciting incident, mm-hmm. um, uh, and he uses the rings to transport to Earth, where he's hiding out, um, trying not to get people's attention, because he knows he's special. Uh, he's hiding out in the small town where James Marsden uh, is is a sheriff, uh, but who, a sheriff who dreams of bigger and better things. Um, he's sick and tired of protecting a small town where nothing really happens. Um, and, uh, eventually Sonic kind of goes a little stir crazy, um, gets frustrated with being alone. He's playing a game of baseball, uh, with himself, which is kind of fun. Um, beating around, playing all the positions, uh, but gets so frustrated that he's on his own that he just starts running to the point where he causes a sonic boom, uh, which takes out this small town's power, which gets the attention of the United States government, uh-huh. who sends in uh, uh, Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik uh, to, to hunt him down uh-huh. and bring him in for reasons. Some sort of paramilitary Uh, drone technician. Yeah. And through this, 
Uh, Sonic ends up meeting James Marston's human sheriff who feels responsible for him uh, and decides to help him because at a certain point uh, he shoots him with a... Uh, he ends up losing his bag of rings and it's uh, James Marsden's fault. Yeah. So he decides he's going to help him and they go on an adventure and uh, fight a lot of drone robots. Yeah, kind of a road movie. Kind of, uh, but not enough. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. So, the, uh, I mean, this is, so I, I don't want to be too harsh on this movie because first and foremost, it is a kid's movie. Yeah. Um, this is definitely targeting a, a young audience. Um, I was kind of hoping that, you know, this might be, more along the lines of uh, uh, Shazam and the Pokemon movie, which seemed to be reaching to, like, uh, you know, an older child. like Tweens uh, to teens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is definitely, I think, aiming for a slightly younger demographic. And let me tell you, the children in the theater at my screening fucking loved it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. They, oh, they they were so excited. Uh-huh. Uh and all the jokes were hitting. Um and yeah. Uh so that being said, it definitely caters to this younger audience. Uh you know, this isn't really sophisticated storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um it's, you know, just trying to be a fun little adventure with a blue hedgehog. Right. And I think there are moments that work. Uh, I think, you know, there are, as far as, I mean, this movie, I think it's a lot less of a mess than it should have been. Um, but if anything, it comes across as pretty predictable and trite. Yeah, it's, uh, it's storytelling mechanisms um, are pretty rote pretty standard it's a pretty much a no risk movie as far as that goes which i don't expect like the sonic the hedgehog movie to to be you know wildly different or left field uh but it is pretty much and and this is my issue with uh with all of these uh live action meets animation um uh, reinterpretations of classic characters, whether they be from video games or, or from television or whatever. Um, it's always kind of the same thing with these movies where you get the CGI guy who comes into the, uh, in contact with a somewhat well-liked comedic actor. And then it's just a fish out of water thing, or it's like a buddy comedy kind of thing. And it's, I don't so, I see I don't understand why somebody plays Sonic the Hedgehog the game and that's what they come up with. Like you know what the you know no, what the I, story needs to be. He needs to get out of this really fun cool crazy world, like get him the fuck out of there and let's put him in Montana. And then he's going to be friends well, with James Marsden, friend of children James Marsden. <laughs> and then they're going to take uh, a mean, trip to uh, okay. San Francisco. All right, all right. Before you, before you go too nuts, uh, 
I mean, James Marsden has been in a couple of these, so no, I know. Uh, I'm not. That's not completely off. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm using Second. Sonic as my as my uh, case study right now because we're talking about the movie. But I'm talking about in general, whether it's Yogi Bear or it's or it's. Uh, uh, or it's, yeah, the, it's, it's the Smurfs, or it's Garfield. Why is this what they keep coming out with? This idea of this fish-out-of-water, CG meets real-life actors, fun supposedly ensues, Chippendale the Squeakwell. What is happening? Why is this happening? A couple, I, uh, I think a couple reasons. Why not make a um, fun, cool world... You know, into either entirely CG or you know, yeah. animated or whatever. Do you, uh, where do you know we why? could see Sonic be Sonic in the world that we've grown up loving him in? The reason is because that shit costs money. Like, y- you know, what costs m- more money? Making a fu- I feel sort of bad for the people who worked on Sonic because they sure. had to like go back and completely redesign a character. But I do think that that choice was. A very good one, though. And I think it had we had watched that movie with the old design, it, it that would have been like a grade drop at least. I for sure it it that original design was so ugly and terrifying and gross. Um, but I think that's why you know you can spend that money rendering uh, an entire world and putting all this time and effort into stuff uh, into a movie that ultimately it doesn't matter if it's super creative or not because it's gonna make its money like so why spend that budget when you could just throw james marsden in a truck with a golf ball uh yeah but so the so those are the problems with the movie i i agree with everything you're saying it's it's such a hack formula and in general i think I think there's also this trend in children's comedies yeah. to, they're not really funny. And <laughs> just because you're playing to a young audience doesn't mean it can't be funny. Right. And, and that isn't to say that this movie is devoid of humor. Um, I'm, I'm getting to that. There's this, there's sort of a cynicism that goes into writing these comedic scripts, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's not just like, y- you know, James Marsden isn't just the, the sheriff in a small town. He's a sheriff in a small town with a dumb deputy. Yeah, he's uh, pretty much like a Barney Fife know. kind of character. And the the whole sort of screenwriting process has these sort of side characters, and they're just sort of trying to fit every joke in they can instead of landing character jokes. Right. Right. Instead of landing earned, earned laughs. Like there's plenty of jokes you could make with Sonic being a super speedster that doesn't ever really come up that much. Um, it does, you know, in the action set pieces, which if I was that age, I would have been totally into the, the action scenes. They're pretty. They're pretty decent. Yeah, they're pretty well done. Um, and for, actually, considering yeah. as much CGI is is dependent in this film. There, uh, a lot of like the chase scenes and stuff like that. There's a decent amount of practical going on as well. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, um, this movie looks pretty good for, 
for the type of movie that they're they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I mean is like every character. Uh, there, there's no such thing as a straight man in this movie. Like even James Marsden, they try to give. Uh, it's kind of a goof, you know yeah. these sort these sort of quips, and to me it comes off as cynical. It comes off as like, all right, let's shove every joke we can in there. Um, whereas I think if they had just focused on building scenes to a, a sort of a better laugh or maybe a more earned laugh or, or more honest to what Sonic is, um, I think it would be funnier. Like, the whole sequence at the bar, mm-hmm. I'm like, why, why is this? Why is this happening? Right. Right? Let's, uh, and me and my wife were talking about it, like, let's do without that scene, right, entirely, and instead let's have them, like, drive by an amusement park. And Sonic wants to, like, run on the roller coaster. Like, let's set up Sonic to be Sonic. Right. Let's not set him up to to do this weird sort of Quicksilver ripoff scene, which, like, that, we've seen that. We've seen that in the X-Men movies. Like, right. you're not, this isn't new. This feels like hack. This feels like you're. it's being ripped off. Whereas, like, let's, you know, let's set him up for these moments that we know from the video game. In in if we can build some jokes around that, that's gonna feel more earned. Agreed. So, so that was my problem with the movie. Is it's like it's trying way too hard to be funny when it doesn't need to be. This doesn't need to be a comedy. Uh, that being said, I did really enjoy Jim Carrey in this movie. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing him be this really broad comedic character that we haven't seen from him in a long time. And he was the only one that I felt like was actually making interesting choices. I mean, it is sort of Jim Carrey we've seen before, but it was in a context that was a little weird Mm -hmm. uh, because he felt out a little out of place in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to a little bit because he's the villain and and he stepped in as an interloper in this otherwise, you know, kind of happy, friendly world. Um, so he it sort of allows for him to be as arch as he is. And I'm sure because he's Jim Carrey, he took plenty of liberties with the screenplay, uh, which I could only imagine helped. Oh, certainly. And, and he's the only one that I really feel like is is actually like pushing for more, it, it, you know, like everybody else is sort of in this for the paycheck, which is fine. Yeah, you know, I get it. It's this isn't going to be James Marsden's big break. So it, it was fun for me to see Jim Carrey just like really not give a fuck and cut loose. Yeah. And and give it his all uh, like to me, the best scene in the whole movie is he has this weird little dance sequence where he's not, he's not even saying anything. And I was thoroughly engrossed. That was the I best was like, scene of the movie. I loved it. I thought that was, I was pretty so, unnecessary and out of nowhere. So I, but I don't care. I don't care if it's. I liked his interactions with everybody, especially like as he's as he's talking to these small town police, or he's talking down to his assistant. Um, I didn't like his assistant. No, his the assistant, assistant character really. was kind of whatever, but I thought that he was really funny with him, and I I like his little ad libs and things like that. I. Yeah, I actually, I mean, even though it's such a huge character that takes up the entire screen, um, 
it's it I like sort of the little choices he makes rather than the super broad big dumb dance sequences and stuff like that. Uh, I I loved all of it. That's what I'm saying. I I really enjoyed Jim Carrey in this movie. I just kind of wish. I could feel him had- straining, though. Like, even... I, and I don't hate this movie, I should say. I, I don't love it because I don't feel like I'm the age to love it. But I I didn't hate it. But I felt like even with him, even with Jim Carrey, I felt like he was breaking a sweat to make his, this character work. I didn't... I, it didn't I, feel I, effortless. Kind of- it felt like... He knew that he's kind of slumming it. The characters, there's not much there on the page. He's acting against, you know, something he can't see with actors who are no, nowhere near his range of capabilities. And I felt like he's like, all right, let's let me do my thing. Just like, you know, and I, and I, but I did feel that it was, I did feel there was a little bit of a strain. There was a little bit of him like hitting the ceiling of what he can do. With this material, I kind of get what you're saying, but I it's it felt different to me. To me, it felt like I wish they had capitalized on him more and framed the movie around him a little more. I, I which I know sounds ridiculous because I don't need it to be a deconstruction of the Robotnik character, right? Um, I think. Well, I, I think that is kind of. To- Pointing out more the problems than the than the uh, successes here. When your when your yeah, villain just, is the most important is the most compelling thing in the film. Um, you know we should be caring a lot more about Sonic. And here's what I'll say positively I, I mean, about. Oh, uh, well, that I mean, okay, that's I'm going to challenge you there a little bit on that one. I I think there there are plenty. I don't think having the villain be the most interesting part is a bad thing at all. I mean. If anything, comic book movies have proven that a, a good villain can make or break a movie. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but we're not talking about Batman. We're not talking about Spider-Man. We're talking about Sonic the fucking Hedgehog. So in this case, I, th- I think you know. I think you're being. I a think little in this case, it's 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 I a think different you're being story. A little snobby. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm I not. Think- I'm not talking. I'm not saying it like Batman and Spider-Man or whatever are like these great. Uh, these great examples of, of art in that Sonic the Hedgehog can never reach that. That's not how I meant it. What I meant is that fundamentally there are different types of characters and different types of worlds and different types of mediums that require different things from the characters. And I think in a Sonic movie, you want Sonic to, to be your, your most sympathetic character. Now, what I will say is I think that the voice acting for the character is done really, really well. I did care about yeah, him. I think Ben Schwartz. I do think Ben Schwartz fits the character well, and and is lame and and I, I mean this again. I didn't feel like this movie was great, but again, the kids that saw this movie were fucking loving it, and yeah, and that doesn't surprise me at all. And I think because I think if if we're talking about these these type of live action meet CGI cartoon farces, this is about as good as they get. Yeah. I think this is this is the this is the better end of that spectrum. I I mean it gets much worse than this. <laughs> I agree with you. I I feel like in general as as cynical as maybe some of the writing might have been and some of the jokes might have been, I feel like genuinely they did care about the character. You know, they they wanted this to yeah. be the coolest Sonic movie they could could do. Like 
obviously we're right. I actually thought that. that that first that that first like twenty minutes or so with the character when he's in his little hedgehog home and he's talking to himself and he's sort of narrating uh, his day to day experiences and how he wants more and how he wants friends and all of these things. I cared about the character. I thought they actually put in a decent amount of legwork with that character to get me to care about his adventure going forward. The problem is. Once the rubber hits a road with the plot, and it's about him getting to San Francisco with James Marsden, um, they don't do nearly as much work with James Marsden as they do with Sonic. Yeah. And so, weirdly enough, he feels more like the fictitious character of the two. No, uh, I, I agree with you, and I actually... And it, the, the, the story doesn't really live up to the character. And here's my question. Do we need James Marsden at all? No, actually. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's kind of what I'm saying. But the whole plot is about him wanting friends, so maybe? I, uh, but here's the, here's the thing. You don't have to have one central doofy dude as the friend, you know? This could be right. a road trip movie of, like, Sonic, and he's, like, uh, you know, in Montana or wherever the fuck, and Dr. Robotnik comes crashing, so he's got to sort of, like, hop from city to city you know, maybe give him Tails as a sidekick or, or something as a sidekick or whatever. But, you know, have him meet, like, a new friend in every city. Have it be sort of like a goofy movie. Uh, uh, have it right. be more of a road trip movie. Cut out all this mm-hmm. bullshit with... I can't even remember James Marsden's name, and they say it a thousand times. <laughs> like, why do we need that? Why do we need the doofy human... I guess this goes back to your original point. Um like, you know, let's again, I think Jim Carrey's doing really good work here. I think I, I don't think James mm-hmm. Marsden's doing bad work, but have that just be No, like, he's doing exactly what he has on the page. Yeah, but have that just be like a moment. Maybe, you know, he's rolling mm-hmm. through town and he helps out a small town sheriff for one scene, and then the next scene he helps a a plucky fisherman catch some fish, and then the next scene, you know, like have it be a little right. more um but I think the problem with that is that every single time he meets a human character, he has to explain where he's from and what the deal is, and no, they're all they're scared that. of him. Fuck. It's a kid's movie. You can do that exactly one time, and then you can have other characters that are just like, oh, uh, a talking hedgehog. Cool. On Whatever. Like, you don't have to spin forever on that. Like, uh, you don't even have to yeah. make a big thing out of it. Uh, you know, because... Everybody except James Marsden accepts it pretty quickly. Like his wife is pretty down. Uh, his his mm-hmm. niece is like, oh, cool. Here's new shoes. Like nobody else really is struggling with this idea like he is. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it's it's as good as a Sonic movie is probably going to be. Um I, well, I, that I don't think. I think that there is a potential. If they'd gone more like a Wreck-It Ralph uh, trajectory with this story and just had gone full animation, keep him in the realm that we know him from, um, I think that would have been the best a Sonic movie could be. But I think the the direction that they did take it is about as good that it, as it could be. In I, terms of if they want to turn it into one of these dumb fish-out-of-water comedies. I think... I'm giving it a B minus because it's rather uncreative and there's like a thousand logical leaps all throughout the movie. It's kind of whatever, 
But uh, I, I'm not surprised at all that somebody under the age of 11 would totally be into this. Uh, yeah, I actually, I think my grade is the same. A B minus. Um, it's it's pretty harmless. It's it's pretty fun. Um, uh-huh. uh, I, I don't, we're getting pretty into the weeds on it. Mm-hmm. I think it sets out, it does exactly what it sets out to do. Uh, and it does it in a pretty fun, palatable way. Again, I just, I really missed, I really miss seeing Jim Carrey just sort of cut loose and be a little less manic depressive um, and take himself a little less seriously than he has in a long time. So I was eating that up. Uh, so, you know, if you are older, I do think there is enough fun to be had. Um, but I wouldn't recommend seeing this if you don't have kids, unless you're really into Sonic the Hedgehog, which is fine, which is fine. Yeah. Let's talk about our Netflix homework. Now, <laughs> or our pre- uh-huh. uh, streaming. Our homework. streaming homework. Um, this was recommended to us by a friend of the show, Patrick. He actually sent in a review of his own um, a handful of episodes back if you want to go. I think it was sometime probably in like October or September or something like that. Uh, but he uh, he recommended the film Mr. America, which stars uh, Tim Heidecker. Um, this is a sort of compendium uh, or a, a, a complementary or supplementary uh, uh, narrative that involves the world of Tim Heidecker's uh, internet show on cinema, which is a sort of a uh, at the movie style parody movie review show where Tim Heidecker plays um, sort of this uh, greedy opportunist who brings on a uh, dorky um, movie geek to review movies poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and that show's been going for quite a while, actually. I think they've been doing that show since like 2011 or 2012 or so. Um, and it might still even be a thing, but the it sort of developed over the years online and then then there was a like a longer series they did um or a sub series of Tim Heidecker uh going to trial for accidentally poisoning something like 12 or 19 like, uh kids yeah. in uh, San Bernardino at an EDM festival now funnily enough there was an EDM festival in San Bernardino not too long ago, around the time that they're talking about, where there was a group of teenagers who died from heat exhaustion. Oh, really? Because I, I knew a kid who went to that specific event <laughs> um, when that happened. That's funny. Uh, uh, there, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I had to Google while watching this to just sort of see, like, yes. how much is real, what's real. Um how because mm-hmm. uh, this isn't because this is done in a mockumentary style so but the- Tim Heidecker is going by his own name but he's not really playing himself he's playing a caricature version of himself that's this sort of grifter um sleazebag uh, sleaze yeah like used carsman style sort of sleazebag who's trying to he yeah he won the his defense against murder. <laughs> And because of the whole court case, he's decided that he's going to run for uh, San Bernardino District Attorney um, to oust yeah. the district attorney that was charging him for murder. Um, 
But even so, though he it yeah. ended up getting thrown out by a technicality or something like that. So he thinks because he represented himself that he's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Uh but I do think it's important to point out that yes, this is a mockumentary, but it's not in the style of like a Sasha Baron Cohen where all of the interactions no. are with real people. A lot of this um while it feels improvised uh, a lot of it um he is interacting with actors playing characters there might be some interactions with real people um i think yeah, i would say not scenes. very many but yeah for the most part uh the you know it is a fictional version of the real world it's not yeah this is a little bit more christopher guest than it is sasha baron cohen Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, which, yeah, I think is, you know, is an important distinction. Um, because yeah. I think it's, most, it's not a hidden camera kind of thing. Because I kind of thought that's more the style that it was going to be going into this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I was like, okay, this isn't real. <laughs> How much of this is real? <laughs> and then I was like, I don't, I don't think much of it is real. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So he has sort of established. This base of operations in a hotel in San Bernardino as a technicality so that he can be a residence. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he has uh, a woman who was the deciding vote in his murder case, who's sort of his campaign manager. And Greg Turkington, his co-host from On Cinema, keeps popping into the movie as well to mostly talk about movies <laughs> yeah um, middling movies that nobody cares about <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's kind of an interesting little bobble i'll say that i i can't say that i thought it was necessarily as funny as it should have been um well it I does think- feel very imp- imp- improvised but the it and i get that the, it's his humor their humor you know because it kind of comes from the whole tim and eric thing mm-hmm. um and this is much less absurd than that and much less surreal. Uh, but I do think there is kind of a subtlety to that style of humor that it's not necessarily funny because there's a traditional like uh, build up to a punchline or whatever. None, the scenes don't even necessarily like come to a resolve in that sort of way. Uh, instead, it's much more sort of a day in the life um, exploration of this insane, deranged person. Yeah. And I think the character's very interesting, but I don't always think the movie's as interesting as the character. I agree. And I also don't think that the movie's as funny as the character, if that makes sense. Um, uh, it I does. think Tim Heidecker here is doing A-plus character work. Like, he... Yeah. Uh, talk about, like, comedic nuances. He will have just like these little these it was the little moments that got me the most that got the biggest reaction from me um yeah but yeah i think i think ultimately this is a pretty interesting experiment and but i think it's more interesting than it is necessarily funny um right and I think it, the movie itself kind of outwears its welcome a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think it might be a little too long. Um, uh, and, you For know, what it I is. Think, 
Yeah, and I think Tim Heidecker is... He's one of those people that works well in a short format, and he works... I, I think this sort of, you know, probably could have topped out at 45 minutes, and I still would have pretty much gotten the gist. Um, right. Uh, honestly, though, to me, the one who stole the show was Greg Turkington, uh, when he would Agreed. pop in. Uh, because I, I definitely wanted to know more about their relationship. Um, mm-hmm. because, so Greg Turkington pops up into this documentary to sort of badmouth, uh, Tim Heidecker, but it feels like it's much more of in, uh, it's definitely much more about Greg Turkington. Um, right. Uh, like sort of wanting to prove his, prove himself and prove his credibility as a movie fan because he does this right. movie review podcast with Tim Heidecker. Um, and I think the best parts are when you see them together, um, which Mm -hmm. isn't sort of enough. I I think it's, it sort of all builds up into this town hall. And I think, I think that kind of could have been the end of the movie for me. Uh It mostly is. I think that the town hall is sort of the, uh, the logical conclusion of all of this. Yeah. But, but it, 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 it also just, it feels like it takes a long time to get there, and it doesn't necessarily need to. Um, right. And I, I mean, I'll say this about, the the thing, there's a few scenes that I think work here, and it's, it's, it's it kind of sounds basic, but it's the scenes where there's something happening. So the town hall is exciting to watch, because we finally see him interacting with these potential voters, and have to really, like, perform as this this DA that he thinks he is. And then uh, the other there, there's the scenes where he's like in the barbershop trying to convince people to vote for him and being, you know, uber problematic. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the, the scenes where he's talking to uh, uh, or where he confronts the, the uh, current DA that he's trying to primary or he's running against rather. And, those scenes actually have traction. The movie starts to move a little bit, but when it's, you know, Heidecker sort of just talking to the camera or he's um, just hanging out in his hotel room, there's a lot of kind of these uh, layabout scenes that don't really move or don't really do much. And I, again, I appreciate the character work and I think he's super committed and he's super in it and almost to the point where you don't know where the real and the fake start and end. Yeah. Uh that's how good he is at this, but I but again like there's just I don't know that that necessarily there is it does that 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 it does feel like they're sort of filling this out. Yeah, I don't know that that in and of itself can necessarily hold a, a, an entire movie. Yeah, I agree. And I I just felt like if there had been a little bit more a little bit more structure to this mm-hmm. As a comedy, well, a little bit more of a rising tension. Well, and, and um, I think to go throughout. You mentioned Christopher Guest. I think that's sort of what separates this from Christopher Guest. Uh, is yeah, uh, you know, and Christopher Guest is sort of a master at this because they have several compelling characters that they shoot like a documentary and whittle mm-hmm. the story down to a story. Um, in this, yeah. it felt like there was one or two interesting characters, 
But the problem is you barely ever got to see them interact. And so for the most part, it's a one man show. And I think if you're going to do that, it probably would have gotten a little bit better of a reaction if they had played it more like a Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, and And if you're, you know, this is this outrageous character, see him interact with people a little bit more, push those buttons. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that might make it feel a little more full, but you know, right. Or at least give the character something to do from scene to scene. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I agree with you, but you know, for the most part, I, I was still interested enough and I was still invested enough. Um, and I still enjoyed it. And I do think, you know, if nothing else, it's sort of an interesting experiment in character Mm -hmm. comedy. So I appreciate it, what it's doing. I just don't know that it, you know, it, I wouldn't say it knocked it out of the park. How do you think it worked as a satire? Because obviously he's talking a little bit about like something like, uh, you know, sort of populist politics and, and, uh, a little bit of sort of a post maga thing going on well, here the but yeah i mean and 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 when patrick sent in the sent in his review he talked a lot about that and seemed to really really respond to that i found the satire to be pretty slight i didn't i didn't even know if it was necessarily interested in that all always well so that that i think is the interesting question i think as far as politics go, we're living in sort of a post-satire world because, like, how do you be crazier than what's actually happening? How, how How do you play a character that's broader and dumber than Donald Trump? The broadest, dumbest person to ever exist. Like, to the point where people constantly question if he's just doing a long-form character that got out of control. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's a theory that's been bandied about. So living in sort of a post-Trump world, I don't know that that satire like that can necessarily exist the same way it used to. Um, Right. So I I don't know. I mean, I do. I think Tim Heidecker's doing really good work. Sure. If if this movie had come out during the Obama administration, uh, I think we all would have been like, oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, I can't pe- believe people reacted to that. But we're not. Like, the stuff he said mm-hmm. and did is, if anything, I think an understated version of the shit people say and do on TV in real life. Every day. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't know that it necessarily works as a satire, but I don't think that's the movie's fault. I don't think that's the character's fault. I think mm-hmm. the character is definitely, like, a very specific version of a sociopathic narcissist uh-huh. but i i wouldn't necessarily describe it as satire i i don't to me the the that's not where the that isn't where i really got my uh my rocks off on this in this movie because i it's no it was, and it, it, it's funny because it didn't occur to me till halfway through it's like oh this should resonate in some sort of way. Like we're in right in the middle of a primary and there's all sorts of political stuff happening right now. And this should all sort of feel relevant, but it kind of doesn't. And I'm not sure why. I think, I think it's for a lot of reasons. I think it's, uh, 
I mean, political humor in general is just so done right now that it's, it's kind of suffered. Yeah. No, no, I don't. I don't mean done in that it's o- over. I, I mean done in that everybody's doing it. Like right, I- and you know, comedy. But I think going to what you said. Uh, because reality is so much more far-fetched than anything a, com- a comedy writer could come up with, like political satire over the last four or so years is is hard to write and make sound like anything. Well, and, and, and even more than that, I just think that that it's so prevalent as well. That's what I mean when I say it's done. Everybody's right. doing it. So... You know, is this really that different than Jordan Klepper? Is this really that different than, you know, any sort of Daily Show correspondent? I I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily think so. So to me, the stuff that was wasn't as political was the stuff that really registered like like. Yeah, kind of me too. Greg Turkington. Like I, I really appreciated the really slow burn joke about uh, him and his campaign manager in this relationship. Um, yeah. Uh, like that stuff was what I really resonated with um, because the political stuff is just like, it's window fine. dressing. Yeah. I, I think yeah. as far as that goes, actually Tim Heidecker has an album uh, called, I think it's uh, like a music album or a yeah, uh, comedy, a album. music album. Um, cause he, oh. he has a few, like, I mean, you know, they're, they're like humorous, but he has a, a couple albums. Um, right. He, re- he released one, I think it was in like 2016 or 2017. Um, I actually genuinely like his music. Um, I think he's a pretty talented musician, but he has this, uh, yeah, the album is called too dumb for suicide. Tim Heidecker's Trump songs. And it's just like, you know, it's a bunch of different, I mean, it's from 2017. So in three years ago was a thousand years ago, as far as political humor goes. Right. But um, as far as political humor goes, I felt like that was a lot more pointed and, mm-hmm. and specific and, and purposeful. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, maybe check that out if that's what you're interested in. Uh, overall, I thought, this movie was fine, but I think it, I think it probably would have been a lot better if it was a little bit shorter and a little more focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I think if the, if exactly what you said, if they had edited this, edited this down to like a hot forty-five. Yeah, I think it would have moved a lot better. It would have been a little harder to distribute. Obviously, couldn't have had like theatrical release and that kind of stuff. What they probably wanted, um, but. Uh, I think that is the format it is meant to be. I, but, or if it had been broken up like the trial episodes were. Yeah, yeah. But I will say, uh, Tim Heidecker Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington's character work is unimpeachable. Uh, pun yeah, completely they're great. intended. And if you go back and watch those on-cinema episodes, they're always funny. Yeah, so I think, you know, if nothing else, it's a master class in character work. I just don't know mm-hmm. that it holds together as a whole movie. Agreed. Um, okay, so next week we are actually going to be returning back to Netflix for our streaming homework. We're going to be watching the Safi Brothers uh, breakthrough film, The Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson. 
Uh, I've heard a lot of good things, was a big fan of uh, Uncut Gems, so I'm excited to see this. And uh, yeah, that uh, pretty much does it for today. So if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies that we talked about in this episode or past episodes, you can contact us at our email at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MacGuffinPod, and you can follow us at our Facebook page at facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod, where you can see episodes when they go up and different uh, survey questions we pose to our our listeners. You can follow me individually at BC Cassidy on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also uh, read the uh, stuff that I write uh, every other week for the Idaho State Journal at the Idaho State Journal's Arts and Entertainment page under the Movies tab. Um, you should see some of the reviews I posted there. Um, you can also see some stuff that I provide every once in a while for the MacGuffin at mcguff.in slash author slash Cassidy. And while you're there, be sure to read the other articles and other reviews by the MacGuffin staff. Uh, what about you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid, um, and my go to my website www.keithfosterkid.com. Even though I haven't updated it in forever, but I probably will someday. Um, and also, you know, yeah, hit us up, send us messages, and if you have any suggestions for streaming homework, mm-hmm. uh, let us know. But if you give us, you know, suggestions, we want to know what you're interested in, what you're watching, too. So, um, uh, you know, we, we watched Mr. America based off of Patrick's suggestion. Um, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll definitely try to work it into a future episode. Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, make sure to, you know, review us on iTunes and stuff. Yeah, you can review us on iTunes. I think there's a review function on Stitcher Radio as well, where we're also streaming. Um, we're also on Player.fm and Pocket Cast. Uh, so check us out there. Um, and I think that's the end of the episode. Uh, meow. Bye. <laughs>